On today's episode, Tintin faces off with cowboys, Indians, and gangsters, but mostly gangsters. This is Gatsy Talks Tintin in America. Tintin has arrived in Chicago. Ostensibly, he's there to follow up the story he broke in the Congo surrounding Al Capone's diamond smuggling ring. But from the outset, the criminal gangs know why he's really there. Tintin is going to clean up Chicago, and they're determined to stop him. The game of cat and mouse takes him from the bustle of Chicago to the wilderness of the Midwestern Redskin City, where he encounters the noble Blackfeet Native Americans, and then to the vastness of the western frontier. Tintin takes down the rival gangs one by one, surviving their assassination attempts with the usual combination of quick thinking and dumb luck before returning to Chicago and receiving a ticket tape parade from the grateful populace. It was the Native Americans that inspired Hergé to write a story set in the United States. They were a people that had always fascinated him, and as Tintin and the Congo began to conclude in the middle of 1931, he took to researching the various tribes at great length, in anticipation of the third Tintin adventure. For Norbert Valles, however, who edited La Vetiem Siecle, in whose children's supplement Hergé's stories appeared, the United States stood as nothing more than a cautionary tale for the good conservative nationalist youth of Belgium. If Hergé's Tintin in the land of the Soviets warned against the perils of collectivism and socialism, Tintin in America would serve to display the dangers of individualism and unchecked capitalism. A common critique of the United States in the wake of the devastating Wall Street crash and ongoing Great Depression. If Russia was the land of famine, state tyranny, and the secret policemen, the United States was the land of abundance, lawlessness, and the bootlegger. The Native Americans that so fascinated Hergé would appear in the story, but it's the gangsters that define the United States in Tintin in America. Tintin in America was serialized in Le Petit Vétiem from the 3rd of September 1931 until the 12th of October the following year. Hergé continued to make advances in crafting satisfying plot development, but he was still a very long way from his peak. Tintin in America isn't as meandering as Land of the Soviets or as directionless as in the Congo, but once more, the basis of the story is simply Tintin being hunted by wicked people and having to escape them. At least in this third outing, he has become more active, and whenever he isn't being kidnapped or thrown into a river, he goes on the front foot to apprehend these baddies. Furthermore, Tintin no longer escapes his predicaments with cartoonish sight gags that marked his earlier appearances, with Hergé instead pushing the reporter's luck to the extreme. Being lethally gassed by gangsters who later realised they were only using sleeping gas, or being tied to a strongman's dumbbell and thrown into Lake Michigan, with the weight being mistaken for a trick wooden one by sheer chance. It's arguably more realistic than, say, Tintin building an automobile out of scrap metal or feeding a sponge to a wild leopard, but it does present him as somewhat hapless and passive, surviving through very little of his own volition. This passivity contrasts sharply with the active role Tintin takes in the story. While still referred to as a reporter, Tintin in this story has entirely assumed the role of the Righteous Avenger. Practically all pretense to journalism has been dropped, and his mission 
as understood by both he and his adversaries, is to rid Chicago of crime, for no other reason than it's the right thing to do, establishing a premise for the successive few stories to follow. Here, Hergé adopts a very juvenile understanding of just how criminal justice works, one that doesn't involve grown-up concepts of legal jurisdiction or attorney generals. Remember, in real life, Al Capone never went into hiding, and police and prosecutors knew perfectly well the crimes for which he was responsible, and there just wasn't enough evidence to bring a case against him. Hergé does away with this stuffy reality of the justice system. To clean up Chicago, all Tintin needs to do is deliver the gangsters directly to members of the local police. It's a child's game of cops and robbers, and Tintin plays the ultimate cop in this story. Though he's never forced to use it offensively, he also isn't adverse to carrying a gun in this story, if it helps him round up his foes. Additionally, the inclusion of Al Capone represents the sole occasion in which a real historical figure is represented in the series. Had Hergé written Tintin in America only 10 years later, it's easy to imagine him creating a larger-than-life caricature gangster, only analogous of Capone. As an interesting side note, the story is also unique in that it's the only one in the series with an explicit date provided. 1931, according to the first panel. Naturally, the same year it was written. It may seem like an inconsequential detail, but this one panel effectively renders it impossible to place Tintin on any coherent timeline. For example, how could Tintin live through the 1930s, and also the post-World War II setting of his later adventures, without visibly aging in the slightest? He can't of course. But just like how James Bond or Bart Simpson don't seem to age in each adventure, you're not really meant to think about it too much. Ultimately, Al Capone only features briefly in the story, and Tintin interacts more with the fictional rival of his, the slick and sassy Bobby Smiles. In Smiles, Hergé can be seen moving away from the one-dimensional brutes that served as antagonists in his two earlier stories, and beginning to craft more cunning and charismatic enemies for Tintin to battle. Similarly, many of the minor characters in Tintin in America demonstrate Hergé's growing proficiency at crafting a unique supporting cast for his stories, with the incompetent but self-assured detective at Tintin's hotel setting the mould that would later be filled by the Thompson twins. Tintin, reaching his earnest and righteous peak by this story, is the ultimate straight man, and Hergé is beginning to test out potential comedic partners for him, besides of course Snowy, who he can't converse with. Hergé's research for this story surpassed that for the previous two entries in the series, and the nation he presents in Tintin America is much more geographically diverse than the Soviet Union or Belgian Congo. The United States is presented as a land of contrasts, and by travelling west in the pursuit of Bobby Smiles, Tintin gets to experience all of it. In the unimaginatively named Redskin City, Hergé is finally able to depict the Native Americans that so fascinated him, and ultimately presents the Blackfeet tribe sympathetically. Even if the real Blackfoot Confederacy was based near Montana, not exactly within walking distance of Chicago as Tintin might lead you to believe. While the native Congolese of Tintin the Congo are big children wearing nonsensical clothing, the Blackfeet, changed from the fictional tied toes in the original publication, are solemn and proud, with their accurate dwellings and outfits a testament to Hergé's research. It's a progressive depiction for the time, though the tribe is ultimately presented as too trusting of the white man, being duped by Bobby Smiles into trying to kill Tintin. The scene in which the Blackfeet are forced off their land by soldiers within hours of oil being discovered on their land is a particularly striking indictment of the role of the American state in capitalist exploitation. 
today, it adheres to a pretty tired narrative of the noble savage doomed to extinction by the cruel march of progress, but it still leagues ahead of Hergé's previous depiction of indigenous peoples. Ultimately, Hergé's America is a land where the accumulation of wealth, preferably lots of it and preferably made very quickly, has replaced any sense of the common good, allowing vicious gangsters to present themselves as near-legitimate businessmen in the face of a corrupt and impotent state. And it takes the righteousness of Tintin, the embodiment of upright, old-world sensibility, to restore it. The messaging is of course subtler than it is in Land of the Soviets, but the social critique is just as severe. Unlike the miserable and oppressive Russia, the United States is a sleek, mechanized aberration of the European social model, but an aberration nevertheless. Tintin in America was one of the first nine stories originally drawn in black and white, and as such was eventually redrawn and colored in accordance with Hergé's Ligne Clara artistic style for its republication in 1946. That wasn't the end of significant changes to the story, however. For the 1973 American publication, almost all African American characters were redrawn as Caucasian or Hispanic at the publisher's request for fear of outrage. Not over the character's grotesquely stereotypical physical depictions, but of presenting a racially integrated country to children. Similarly, the radio report which originally declared that 44 blacks have been lynched a pretty striking, if callously insensitive, indictment of racial violence in the country, changes the victims to racially ambiguous hobos. However, Hergé resisted requests to omit the scene of the Blackfoot tribe being forcibly removed from their land. As with many of his earlier held beliefs, Hergé's anti-American sentiment diminished in the years after he was freed of the influence of Valé's strident political ideology, and he came to admire many aspects of American culture. It wasn't until 1971, however, that he finally visited the country and, in what must have been a dream come true, was able to meet with representatives of the Oglala Lakota tribe. You get the impression Tintin in America is one of the more famous Tintin stories. It's one that I always see covers of everywhere and uh, one that seems to get mentioned quite a lot. On my Instagram page at Tintin.podcast, I took the chance to ask some of my followers what they thought about Tintin in America and uh, thank you to everyone who contributed. I'm going to read out some of these opinions now. Snowy the dog, unsure if it's the real Snowy or just someone with that username, but Snowy the dog uh, says, I think Hergé could have done better by not portraying all Americans as gangsters or cowboys. It was not necessarily offensive to me, but it was easy to see that he relied on American stereotypes. I completely agree, Snowy. It definitely reads very much like a stereotypical depiction of America that a European would have in the 1930s, because I think it mostly was. On a related side note, the three dominant socio-political ideologies in Europe in the 1930s were Conservatism, liberalism, and socialism. Now, Levitium Cicle, which of course Hergé wrote for, was firmly in the conservative camp. So it distrusted not only socialists, as we saw in Tintin, the Land of the Soviets, but it also distrusted this liberal individualism and this uh, emphasis on, on, on capitalism and making money. And I think that is partly why America is reduced to just these simple, crude, crass, money-making, sort of untrustworthy characters. I think it does come down to the ideology of the, the publication. Thank you for your question. Instagram user underscore absolute underscore simplicity comments, 
It's one of the best, but dang, Tintin does have a bad time there. Disaster comes upon him one by one. The worst one where he almost get <laughs> where he almost got minced. There's nothing that I dislike though. It's a very very far. I agree with you. It's a very very fast paced story, <laughs> and if you read it. He can barely make two steps in the story without something terrible happening to him and only just scraping through. And uh, this was very common in Hergé's, uh, at least his, his first couple of stories. Because as we've mentioned, he was still sort of making it up as he goes along while he's writing. Uh, but it sort of reaches a breakneck speed in Tintin in America, I think. The amount of hijinks, the amount of encounters Tintin has that very, very nearly kills him, including, yes, almost getting turned into a salami in the, uh, at the Grindco Meat Factory, I think, is uh, quite iconic. And I believe he's only saved because the workers are going on strike, so very lucky Tintin there. Thank you for your contribution. Username Louise underscore Ben uh, disagrees that it's one of the best, and he says, certainly not the best, not one of the best, but the best one among the three albums from the naive phase of Urge's mind construction, Russia, Africa, America. I'm very very much the same, Louise. I um I grouped these three first stories together. Land of the Soviets, Tintin the Congo, Tintin America. They represent, I guess, the formation of Urge's of Urge's uh, work and his creative practice. And while I definitely think there's things to enjoy in all of those first three stories, none of them are good. If the quality remained as they did for those first three stories, I don't think we would be talking about Tintin today. I think from the next story onwards, it really, really does improve in quality. That's my understanding of the story, is that it's Urge almost hitting his stride. We're going to see in the next story when he does hit his stride. But uh, yeah, thank you for your contribution, Louise. Finally, username that was my account, uh, Mo, from that was my account, comments, I dislike the racism from the American publisher to not allow black people to be depicted. Also, the inaccuracy of the West being so close to Chicago, as well as the Indians cowboys being depicted in the 1920s seems inaccurate. But yeah, a few points there. It seems very odd to our modern perceptions that the African-American characters were removed at the publisher's request. Now look, it's probably good that they were removed, because if you look at them in Tintin America, they're very, very sort of stereotypically depicted, very, very offensive in these days. But that's not why they got removed. They got removed, as we said, because the publisher didn't want to depict an integrated society. That was in 1970. It is, you know, it's, it's crazy that that was still a concern for American publishers that late on. It would be interesting if we had an edition where rather than just removing those African-American characters, they were just depicted in a less racially insensitive. I think that'd be very interesting to see. I also, yeah, I also mentioned in uh, my review, it seems like he can just walk uh, from <laughs> Chicago uh, just to the to the West. Uh, he just sort of, it doesn't really specify how long he's gone there, but the travel time between those two really, really separate locations is is, is doesn't really seem very long at all. And I think that is, as I said in the review, just to give Urge the sort of a chance to show these very, very different sides of America all in one story. You know, the, to show not only the hustle and bustle of the city, but the wide open plains. But yes, the the, the consequence is it makes it seem like it's right next to, it's like an outer suburb of Chicago is the, you know, the Great Plains. Anyway, thank you very much for your contribution, Mo. Thank you to everyone who took the time to contribute. I'd really like to make this a regular feature of my reviews where I sort of gauge community feeling on the Tintin stories. I don't want it just to be sort of me just sort of ranting. I wanted to sort of engage a bit more with what the, 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 
the Tintin fan community thinks of these stories. So please do follow me on Tintin.podcast on Instagram and give me your thoughts on, on things that are being discussed. I'd love to incorporate them more into my reviews. Also, uh, you can visit www.lateratura.com slash Tintin. That's L-A-T-T-E-R-A-T-U-R-E dot com slash Tintin for a bit more of the behind the scenes look at some of the creation of these stories, some of the artifacts and the facsimiles that I've that I've accumulated during my research. In closing, I think Tintin in America is almost there. Hergé is almost there. And I think I'm going to see in the next story, Tintin, Cigars of the Pharaohs, what happens when he finally hits his stride. In the meantime, though, thank you so much for listening, Tintin Heads. I will see you next time.